If you'll open your Bible, please, to the book of Exodus, chapter number 33. We're going to actually be in Numbers tonight, but I want us to begin in just a moment by looking at a verse in Exodus. I think it'll be a good place for us to start. Now, I don't think you need me to tell you. You probably have already figured this out in your own life. But when we're going through a wilderness experience in life, we are very vulnerable to the devil, to the enemy. We're very vulnerable to temptation. And we're much more likely to sin than we would be if we weren't going through the wilderness. Think about Jesus, even in the New Testament, after he had been fasting and praying in the wilderness for 40 days. Here he's in constant communication with the Father. And yet at the end of that 40-day period of fasting, here comes the enemy, and he tempted Jesus on three separate occasions. Now, why did Satan choose that time to tempt Jesus? Because he knew that Jesus was vulnerable. If you've ever fasted, you know that after a few days, you begin to feel weak. Well, can you imagine 40 days that Jesus went? And so he was physically weak. And sometimes in life, when we are in a wilderness experience, when we're going through a difficult time, the devil knows that we are much more temptable that we're much more likely to sin. And I heard many years ago Dr. Charles Stanley say that when you find yourself too hungry, too angry, too lonely, or too tired, that you're very vulnerable to the enemy. And he uses those four words and made an acrostic, H-A-L-T, halt. And he said, when you find yourself too hungry, too angry, too lonely, or too tired, you need to halt and call a timeout and think and remind yourself that you are in a position that is not only difficult, but you're in a position where the devil could entice you to sin uh, in a way that maybe you wouldn't give into if you weren't going through what it is that you're going through now. Now, what we're looking at tonight is the sin, one of the sins that Moses committed in his life. And the reason I wanted us to begin tonight in Exodus chapter 33, I want to show you a verse that gives us an insight into the unbelievably close relationship that Moses had with God. In fact, in chapter 33, verse 11, notice what the Scripture says. So the Lord spoke to Moses. Now watch these next three words, face to face. Say those three words with me. Face to face. When God spoke to Moses, God looked Moses right in the face. And uh, Moses looked God back in the face. Now, we know from other passages that Moses was not actually able to see the face of God, but there is still a sense in that which Moses saw the form of God, and they were speaking that closely. The Lord spoke to Moses face to face, as a man speaks to his friend. And so God considered Moses not only his servant, but God considered Moses his friend. And they had a very close relationship. Not only that, we know that Moses uh, is the... If you're looking at Bible characters, and we're going to say some of these characters are mountain peak characters. 
Well, Moses is his own peak. I mean, other than Jesus, nobody really had a more significant biblical role than Moses. He wrote the first five books of the Bible. Moses was the one who went on top of the mountain and got the Ten Commandments from God. Moses had a phenomenal relationship with God. And not only that, Moses himself was devoutly spiritual. Moses was what we would call a holy man. Look in, now go to the book of Numbers, and let's look in chapter number 12. I wanted to just show you one other verse giving us an insight not only into Moses' relationship with God, but Moses' own character. In Numbers chapter 12 and verse 3, it says, Now the man Moses was very humble, more than all men who were on the face of the earth. And so God looked down from heaven and God said, Moses is doing some amazing things. I've given him the Ten Commandments. He's leading the children out of Egyptian bondage. He's appearing before Pharaoh. He's performing all these signs and wonders. And God says, even though I'm using Moses so greatly, it is his humility that blesses me and encourages me the most. Moses was more humble, very humble, more so than all the men who were on the face of the earth. And yet even Moses sinned. Even this man who had a relationship with God, almost unmatched and unparalleled in Scripture, even Moses came to a place in his life where he was not only in the wilderness geographically speaking and physically speaking and even circumstantially speaking, he was in the wilderness, and we'll see this tonight, emotionally, psychologically, and mentally, and in other ways, and Moses in the wilderness committed a sin that he lived to regret, and he committed a sin that had you asked him a year in advance, six months in advance, Moses, do you think you would ever commit this particular sin? Moses would say, no way. There's no way that I would ever do that. So in, now let's go to Numbers chapter 20, and let's see a little bit of the problem that Moses faced that led him to commit this particular sin. Chapter 20, verse 1. Then the children of Israel the whole congregation came into the wilderness of Zin in the first month. The people stayed in Kadesh, but Miriam, now who was Miriam? Miriam was Moses' sister, but Miriam died there and was buried there. Now there was no water for the congregation, so they gathered together against Moses and Aaron. And the people contended with Moses and spoke, saying, if only we had died when our brethren died before the Lord. And so here these people are back complaining griping, bemoaning their situation again. And Moses just keeps listening to it. Why have you brought up the assembly of the Lord into this wilderness that we and our animals should die here? And why have you made us come up out of Egypt to bring us to this place, to this evil place? Is it not a place of grain or figs or vines or pomegranates, nor is there any water uh, to, to drink. There, there's, no, there's no water. And so the people are out in the wilderness and they have no water and they're complaining and they're, they're, they're griping to Moses. And that was the problem that he faced. Now, beginning in verse 6, we see how Moses responded to this problem. We see a prayer that he prayed. And as we read this, we say to ourselves, well, Moses, Moses is doing pretty well so far. We might, if we were there with Moses in this, we might say, good job, Moses. You're handling your problem the right way. Look in verse 6. So Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly of the, to the door of the tabernacle of meeting, and they fell on their faces. Literally, they prostrated themselves. They just laid out flat before the Lord, and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. So what I want you to see is this. Moses had a problem, 
And the first thing he did was he prayed. He turned to God and he put this problem in God's hands. So again, we would say, good job, Moses, you're doing well. Now in verse 7, God begins to address the problem and God begins to give Moses some very specific instructions as to what he's supposed to do about this situation. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, take the rod, you and your brother Aaron, gather the congregation together, speak to the rock before their eyes, and it will yield its water. Now, underline those four words, speak to the rock. That's what God is telling Moses to do. And he said, Moses, if you'll speak to the rock, get all the congregation together. And then you speak to this rock, and as soon as you do that, it will, yield its, it will yield its water, and thus you shall bring water for them out of the rock and give drink to the congregation and to their animals. So Moses took the rod from before the Lord as he commanded him. So far, so good. And Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock. So far, so good. He's doing exactly what God told him to do. And he said to them, "'Hear now, you rebels.'" Must we bring water for, the rock, for you out of this rock? Then Moses lifted his hand, now underline these next few words, and struck the rock. Now we say, wait a second, Moses. Now you're not doing exactly what God told you to do. You took the rod, you got everybody together, but now God has told you to speak to the rock, and instead you have, you're hitting the rock with your rod. So it says, Moses lifted his hand and struck the rock twice with his rod, and water came out abundantly, and the congregation and their animals drank. And so Moses here in the wilderness is expressing what I'm calling tonight partial obedience. God told him three things to do. Take the rod, get the people together, speak to the rock. He took the rod, he got the people together, but he didn't speak to the rock. He struck the rock, and he committed a sin when he did that. But the sin, if you think about it, was just an act of disobedience. God said, do this, and he did that. God said, do A, and he did B. But maybe it doesn't appear like a big offense, but nonetheless, he didn't obey God. He didn't do what God told him to do. Now, the interesting thing about this to me is, after he sinned, you might expect it to say, and when Moses struck the rock, instead of speaking to the rock, God zapped him dead. But that's not what happened. You might expect it to say, Moses struck the rock instead of speaking to the rock, and as a result of that, no water came out of the rock because he was disobedient. But that's not what it says. Look again at the verse 11, and we're seeing here that Moses received an apparent pass. In other words, it doesn't appear that his sin really made any difference. Verse 11, he lifted his hand, struck the rock twice with his rod, water came out abundantly, and the congregation and their animals drank. And so maybe Moses thought, well, you know, I know God told me to speak to the rock, but I didn't really want to speak to the rock. People think I'm crazy if I start talking to a rock. And so I'm going to strike the rock. That's more respectable. And, uh, and he did that. And then, I, and then the water came out. And maybe Moses thought, well, what difference does it make? I mean, I got what I wanted. I wanted, a rock. I wanted water out of the rock. I got water out of the rock. God doesn't seem to care. And it, is, it just seems kind of like Moses got a pass. And it says to me that sometimes in life we can sin and appear to get away with it. In other words, we do something that is wrong. We're disobedient to God, and yet God doesn't strike us dead. The sky doesn't fall. 
then our life goes on. We still have water to drink, and it just appears that we're going to get away with disobeying the Lord. But before we come to verse 12, let me say this. We never get away with disobeying God. Your sin will always find you out. That's, that's, a, that's a Bible truth. We read that verse in Numbers as well. And so beginning in verse 12, we read that God is going to confront Moses, and Moses is going to pay a price for the sin that he had committed. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, because you did not believe me to hallow me in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given them. So water came out of the rock. The immediate need was met. Moses may have thought, man, I got away with it. No big deal. Guess God didn't really, you know, God wasn't looking or God didn't care. But the very next verse, God comes to Moses and said, yeah, there's water that still came out of the rock. And everybody had their thirst quenched. But as a result of you not being obedient and doing what I told you to do, here's what's going to happen. You are not going to go into the promised land. You're going to die on the eastern side of, of Israel, of the Jordan, of the promised land. You're not crossing the Jordan, Moses. You're not going into the promised land. Moses had been looking forward to going to the promised land all of his adult life because God had told him that's what he wanted to do with him. And yet now this sin has prevented that, and that's the high price that Moses paid for disobeying God. Now, before we go any further, I want us to think just for a moment about the, the predicament that Moses was in before he sinned, because I think this could be helpful to us as we think about what I was saying at the beginning. When we're in the wilderness, when things are tough, we're more vulnerable, and that's when the devil is going to pounce on us. So what was it that made Moses so vulnerable? Well, first of all, we see that Moses in the wilderness, not only was, were his circumstances tough, but Moses was sad. Look at the end of verse 1 again. And Miriam died there and was buried there. On top of everything else that everybody else was going through in the wilderness, now Moses has lost his sister. Miriam has died. And so he's experiencing grief. He's going through sadness. I talked to a friend today uh, in another city. In fact, he was in Dallas when we were talking. And I was asking about a mutual friend of ours how he was doing. And he said, John, he's not doing well at all. And he was talking about his wife had died and, and the grieving that he's gone through from that and it, the, the terribly negative effect that has had on his health and on his emotions. I mean, grieving is normal and natural, and grieving actually is intended by God to be part of the healing process. But in this particular case, it just sounds like he never was able to fully come through the grieving, and it's just taken a toll on his body. And so Moses now is experiencing the death of somebody whom he loved dearly. His sister has died. So Moses is not his best. We'd say it this way. Moses is not hitting on all cylinders here. His sister just died. And so he's vulnerable. Look in verse 2. Not only is he sad, but Moses was weak. Now, there was no water for the congregation. You know, you go very long without water, you do begin to get you do begin to get weak. And so now not only are his emotions down, but physically he is tired, he is weak, and he is vulnerable. And I use the word tired, but that would be letter C. He was tired. In verses three through six, three through five, the people are complaining against Moses 
all, you know, all the stuff they're saying. And I just believe by this point in it, Moses was kind of tired of hearing it. He's just tired of hearing the same old thing over and over. Now, if that, that's a bad combination. It's a trilogy. It's a triple combination, I guess. You're sad. You're physically tired. And you're weak. You're vulnerable, and the devil's sitting back watching this, and he's setting Moses up for this sin. But notice the next thing that Moses had going on. He tried to fight today's battle in yesterday's strength. So now Moses is looking at the situation. All these people, no water, and he's thinking, God, we've got to do something. God told him what to do, and he, instead of doing what he told him to do, see, they, they got in a situation, and God said, Moses, Here's what I want you to do right now. And in Moses' mind, he went back to an earlier season of, in the wilderness where they had faced the same problem. There was no water. In fact, go back to Exodus chapter 17, and we'll see exactly what happened on this last occasion. That They were there in the wilderness, and there's no water. And Exodus chapter 17, beginning in verse 1, then all the congregation of the children of Israel set out on their journey from the wilderness of sin according to the commandment of the Lord and camped in Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. So this is not the first time they've been without water. Therefore, the people contended with Moses, saying, Give us water that we may drink. So he's heard this before. So Moses said to them, Why do you contend with me? Why do you tempt the Lord? And the people thirsted there for water. And the people complained. They're doing the same. They've done this all along. They're complaining against Moses and said, Why is it that you have brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried out to the Lord. So they have the same problem. And Moses' response was the same both times. He, he goes to God in prayer. Moses cried out to the Lord saying, what shall I do with this people? They're almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, go on before the people and take with you some of the elders of Israel. Also take in your hand your rod with which you struck the river and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock in Horeb. Now watch what God told him to do. And you shall strike the rock and water will come out of it that the people may drink. And Moses did so and the elders of all Israel. So he goes to this rock, he takes his rod, he strikes the rock, and water came out. Now, two books later, now we're in numbers, same problem, no water, people complaining. Moses prayed. God said, Moses, take your rod, but this time don't strike the rock, this time speak to the rock. And Moses must have thought, God, I to speak to a rock. What would you think if I came out here tonight and started speaking to the drums, right? You'd probably think, John, you really, you, you, we thought it, but now we know it. You need help. You're speaking to the drum. You're speaking to an inanimate object. Well, that's what Moses thought. Speak to the, so Moses, in his mind, went back to this other experience in Rephidim where they had the same problem, and God told him to strike the rock, and he struck the rock, and water came out, and now he strikes the rock twice, I guess he's thinking this is the second time. I'll strike it an extra time. And the water came out. And what was he doing? He was trying to fight today's battle in yesterday's strength. You know, if you were close to God a year ago, that's a wonderful thing. But that's not going to do you as much good today as it would be if you were close to God today. In other words, when I find myself in the wilderness I can't draw on the strength that I had a year ago or six months ago or 10 years ago or 20 years ago and say, man, back then, man, I, I had some spiritual strength. No. What does the Bible say? His mercies are new every morning. 
and we have to draw on his strength every day, and yet Moses didn't do that. He, what Moses needed was a fresh anointing, and yet he tried to fight this battle with yesterday's strength, as it were, with a previous anointing, and it got him in trouble. Now, this story of Moses and his sin and, and how when he got sad and weak and tired and he was kind of living in the past, I think a lot of Christians do that. I think we have to be careful when we spend too much time talking about what God did yesterday or at some other season of our life instead of what God is doing today. Uh, we kind of rest not really on our laurels. It's the Lord's laurels, but it's still we're, we're trying to draw, draw strength uh, in, in the past. I would say this. When you think about God and when you think about your greatest days as a Christian, if you go back to the 70s or the 80s or the 90s or the early 2000s or the, 20, or the early, you know, the 10s and the teens or even two years ago, listen, when we think about our greatest days as a Christian, when we think about the best part of our life with Jesus, yes, we have those seasons, certainly, but we shouldn't have to go back 30 years to think about how good God is. We ought to be able to think about how good God has been this week or maybe how good God has been today or how good how God may have spoken to us this morning or, or what battle God might be fighting for us right now. We can't fight today's battle in yesterday's strength. So God said to Moses, you can't go to the promised land. Now, to me, I read that and I kind of just feel sorry for Moses. And I think, man, God... Moses loved you, and yet he committed this sin, and he didn't get to make it into the promised land, and it just, seems, it just seems so sad. It just seems that maybe this sin could have been forgiven, and we know it was forgiven, but you just wish maybe that Moses could have made it on into the promised land anywhere, and you kind of read this, and you think, God, where's the grace that we know you are all about? Where is the second chance that we know, I mean, you give everybody a second chance. Why is it that Moses didn't get a second chance out here in the wilderness? Why is it that this one sin that we ourselves might not think was that bad, why is it that that sin prevented him from going into the promised land? Well, I want to answer that question. Remember this. Moses was the giver of the law. In John chapter 1, it says the law came through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus. Moses was not the giver of grace. Moses was the giver of law. And he was leading the people to obey the law. Now, that doesn't mean that God didn't have grace back then because he did. But I'm saying the, the leader of the law, the giver of the law, has now broken the law. And what God said when he forbade, for, uh, for, is it forbidden, forbade, said no, when God said to Moses, you can't go into the promised land, what God was saying was, Moses, as the giver of the law, you can't go into the promised land as the leader of the people if you have broken the law. You, you can't get there by law. But hang on, Moses, I'm going to get you there by grace. Now, go to the New Testament, Matthew chapter 17, because this is the part of God that we're more familiar with living on this side of, of, uh, of grace. And we read in Matthew chapter 17 a beautiful thing here that happens in the life of Moses. This is now hundreds of years 
after Moses had died, many hundreds of years after Moses had died, and he's been in heaven now for a long time. And it says in chapter 17, verse 1, that Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, led them up on a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. And behold, look at verse 3, Moses and Elijah, Moses, the giver of the law, Elijah, symbolically representing the prophets, appeared to them talking with Jesus. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, let us make here three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Hear him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces and were greatly afraid. But Jesus came and touched them and said, arise and do not be afraid. When they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. And so after this experience, Moses has been taken away, Elijah has been taken away, and they're only able to see Jesus on that mountain. But the point I'm making is this. Moses, the giver of the law, leading his people under law, was disqualified from going into the promised land when he broke the law. The law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And when Jesus was on the scene, everything about Jesus was grace. What did he do? He brought Moses, as it were, out of heaven and down to Mount Hermon, where the transfiguration took place in the northern part of Israel. And he brought Elijah down too. And Moses, don't you know it, Moses, as as he's now having this experience, his feet now are standing in the promised land. Now, that's certainly not as good as heaven. He's already been in heaven for over a 1,000 years. But his feet now are standing in Israel on that beautiful mountain. And he's looking over the whole nation of Israel from that vantage point. He can look down on it and just almost see for miles and miles and miles. And Moses must have thought to himself, I was unable to get here by law because I broke the law. But I was able to get here by grace once Jesus came along. Aren't you thankful that we live under law, under grace rather, not under law? Aren't you thankful that we don't live under the law and that we do live under grace? I want to say two things tonight by way of closing. First of all, as you, and as we continue for a few more weeks on these Wednesday nights thinking about the wilderness, if you're in one of those seasons of life where you're sad, where you're weak, where you're tired, and maybe where you just feel like your spiritual reserve is pretty well empty, and you're trying to fight today's battle with yesterday's strength, you need to realize this. You're vulnerable, and it might be that at this time in your life that the devil would try to entice you to commit some sin, sin of immorality, sin of dishonesty, sin of unfaithfulness, a sin of compromise, who knows what, some sin that in your better judgment, you would never commit. So tonight, if you don't get anything else out of this Bible study, if you're, if you're sad, weak, and tired, you need to walk out of here tonight with spiritual antennas up and say, God, I, I am vulnerable, and I didn't even know I was vulnerable. And I want to draw near to you. I love that verse in James where it says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. 
And so I would encourage you to draw near to God and let him draw near to you and let him give you a fresh anointing and a fresh touch so that you don't commit some sin in the wilderness. But if you're here tonight and you say, John, I've already committed some sin in the wilderness and I don't believe that because of my sin, I'll ever make it to my promised land. Well, that might be true if we still lived under law. But since we live under grace, God will redeem what you have been through and forgive the sin that you have committed and fulfill his purpose and his plan for your life. One of my favorite verses in the Bible, Psalm 37, 4. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. What was the desire of Moses' heart? To get into the promised land. That was his desire. Did God grant him that desire? Yes, he did. Just in a different time and a different way than what he is than what he had expected. And so I think the takeaway from us tonight is when we're vulnerable, be careful. And when we have sinned, and when we do sin, be thankful that we have God's grace to forgive us and to cleanse us and to pick us up and to put us back on the path and to lead us on to our promised land. Amen. Father, I thank you tonight that even the, the, the heroes of the Bible, like Moses and David, Peter, God, I thank you that in the Bible you record their sins, like even Paul, so that we could be reminded and encouraged that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It's not just me. It's everybody except Jesus. And yet, God, you're so gracious and you're so merciful and you're so kind. And Moses experienced grace even in Old Testament times. I'm not trying to imply that he didn't experience your grace then. I'm just saying he didn't have the fullness of your grace until Jesus came. And neither do we. And friend, with your head bowed and eyes closed tonight, I'm saying to you, if, even if you're not saved, you have experienced the grace of God today. God's let you breathe his air. God's let you walk on his earth. God has warmed you with his son. God has fed you. I mean, even the unsaved are experiencing the grace of God. But they're not experiencing it in the same way that those of us who are saved are. When we receive Christ, we receive the fullness of God's grace. And tonight, if you have never been saved, if you have never received Christ, would you ask him tonight to forgive you of every sin you've ever committed. I don't mean you have to list them all, but just say, God, forgive me for all my sins. And just say, Jesus, I don't understand it all, but I believe when you died on that cross, you died to pay the penalty for my sins. I thank you for that. I believe you rose from the dead. I praise you for that. I ask you tonight to come into my heart, forgive my sins, and make me a Christian. I ask you to save me. And I trust you to do it. I trust you to do it.